Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast that brings you the best and the brightest in the world of startups and innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, founder of InsideOutside.io, a provider of research, events, and consulting services that help innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. Each week, we'll give you a front row seat to the latest thinking, tools, tactics, and trends in collaborative innovation. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger. And as always, we have another amazing guest. Our guest today is Paul Skinner. Paul is the founder of the Agency of the Future and author of the new book, Collaborative Advantage, How Collaboration Beats Competition as a Strategy for Success. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you very much, Brian. It's a great pleasure to be on the show with you. Paul, I'm excited to have you on the show. You sent me an early copy of your book, Collaborative Advantage. And for people who may not be familiar with you and your work with the Agency of the Future and the new book, give us a little background on how you got involved in this core topic and your background in working with companies. I would say all of my work is about enabling people to create collaborative advantage in one way, shape, or form. I'm a great believer in the power of cooperation enabling ideas. One of my formative experiences came when I was six years old and my father was lucky enough to have one of the first ever heart transplant operations. Now, that was made possible by innumerable acts of cooperation, of course, and essential among those was an individual act of life-saving peer-to-peer cooperation. From well before we had access to the internet or social media or there was anything conceived of as the sharing economy, of course, in the form of a motorcyclist who was thoughtful enough to carry a donor card to be on our organ donor registry. Now, I also believe that business is at its best when driven by cooperation enabling ideas. If you're my customer and I'm in business and I'm not doing something that enables you to improve your life, then arguably there's no reason why I should exist as a business in the first place. If I can't do that through some form of exchange that makes it worthwhile for the business, and also a contributor to the community that we live, work, and operate in, then how can I really exist as a business? Now, that might seem sort of embarrassingly obvious, but I would suggest that this fundamental cooperative nature of business activity has somewhat been overshadowed by the idea of competitive advantage. And my hope is that by creating collaborative advantage, we can restore human purpose to the heart of the stories that we tell about business and the realities that we live up to and better harness our innate capacity for cooperation as a means for fulfilling that purpose. So let's talk a little bit about what is collaborative advantage and how does it really compare to what we typically have heard of competitive advantage? Collaborative advantage is the business advantage that comes from harnessing the fuller value creating potential outside the business as well as the value-creating potential inside the business. So it's a fundamental alternative to the bounded concept of competitive advantage, which is about aligning the resources you own, manage, and control to create a superior customer offering, which sounds well and good. But of course, by focusing our attention in one place, it can also cause us to overlook potentially greater opportunities for value creation that may have existed elsewhere. So my hope is that collaborative advantage can provide the triple benefit of overcoming what I propose are the limitations of competitive advantage, helping us to grow our businesses more quickly by better harnessing the value creating potential of the world around us 
including, by the way, of our customers as the primary active creators of their own value at any point in time, or in the case of a non-profit to accelerate social change by better harnessing our collective agency and the agency of the groups that we're looking to support. So let's talk a little bit about maybe some examples that you've seen of companies that have moved away from this traditional competitive advantage focus to more of a collaborative environment. I mean, we have examples like obviously the sharing economy and that, but what are some of the examples of why this trend is happening and some examples of companies that are, have embraced this collaborative nature? I've actually just got back in the past couple of days from Rotterdam, where I was speaking about collaborative advantage to entrepreneurs there. And so I might just give you two or three examples, literally that I had come across between arriving at Rotterdam Central Station and getting to my hotel. Because once you start looking at the world through the lens of collaborative advantage, you really see examples all over the place. So first of all, I would say that Rotterdam itself appeared to be an example of collaborative advantage in that historically it became a great city, not so much by competing with the world's other great cities, but more by being connected to them through its port. Hmm. Then when I arrived at the train station, the first thing I needed was a bottle of water. There's a supermarket in the train station. And I came across the city water scheme where instead of buying a single use bottle of mineral water, you can buy a reusable higher quality bottle of water. When you buy that bottle, you make a contribution to sustainable water programs in parts of the world where access to clean drinking water is not always available. And in exchange, there is a system of pipes across the city where you can refill that reusable, sustainable bottle to hydrate yourself while you're moving around Rotterdam. Mm -hmm. And those pipes also provide sponsorship opportunities for businesses. And then walking with my water bottle to the hotel, just before getting to the hotel, I came across a gym called Train More. And it had the tagline, Train More, Pay Less. So I had to <laughs> pop inside and hear the story. And I was lucky enough to meet the person who'd opened that particular gym, which is part now of a chain. And they told me the founding story. So it was founded by an entrepreneur who had a chain of gyms and that chain sadly went bankrupt. And he became a bit skeptical about the whole business model of gyms. He saw that a lot of gyms weren't really on the side of their members and getting healthy and into good shape. In fact, for a lot of gyms, if a member signs up and pays their monthly subscription and the gym never hears from them again, that's actually quite profitable for the right, gym there's a win because for there's no service. <laughs> exactly. You're sort of sponsoring your local gym. And a lot of us have found ourselves in that position at one time or other. Now, he decided instead to demonstrate that he was on the side of people working out. He wanted to open a gym where you would pay a monthly subscription. And every time you used the gym, they would take one euro off the price of that month's subscription. Hmm. And in the Rotterdam uh, gym now, you can train for 29 euros a month. And every day that you train, one euro comes off the price. And of course, that means that even in February, if you train every day, you can get your training for free. <laughs> now, he pitched that idea to investors and they said, do you know what? You're crazy and you're going to go bankrupt a second time. But eventually he managed to pull together the funds to open a gym. It was a great success. He opened more. He now has eight in Amsterdam alone and other gyms across the Netherlands and has now raised 16 million euros 
to start expanding that chain of gyms into neighboring countries. So those are, I think, my three most recent <laughs> examples of collaborative advantage in practice from the trip I've just got back from. That's a great example. And, but it also kind of highlights some of the obstacles that you face if you're going to go against the traditional competitive advantage approach. What are some of the obstacles that are, are holding companies back from embracing the switch from more competitive to more collaborative? Well, I think a lot of the techniques that I propose in the book individually are starting to become known by businesses. But I think that where there was an important gap is assembling them into an entire approach to strategy, calling it collaborative advantage, and providing a framework that people can use to systematically create collaborative advantage. And why I think it's so necessary to have an entire strategy built on that premise is because I would say that the idea of competitive advantage and the metaphor more broadly of competition competitiveness in business have become so dominant in our understanding of how you create success in business and how you unlock economic value that they can find unexpected ways to hold us back even and perhaps I would say especially when we're not deliberately using them. Many criticisms, of course, have been made of the idea of competitive advantage before me. People who have said it's too often a zero-sum game. If mm -hmm. I'm trying to compete with you, my natural instinct is to replicate what you're doing, but to try to offer more for less, which can extract value from both of our businesses. Other people point out that competitive advantage may too often have been used to prioritize shareholder value in a way which has been to the active detriment of broader stakeholder value. Financial analysts have shown that the length of time we can hold on to a competitive advantage has diminished at an accelerating rate since the idea was first introduced. And then you have people like Kim and Mo Borgna, the authors of the Blue Ocean Strategy series of books, who I'm sure would make excellent guests on your podcast, by the way, and who argue, I think, really quite convincingly that the biggest disruptions we're likely to face probably don't come from our direct competitors anyway. Right. So too much of a focus on competitor strategy can leave us blind to the opportunities and threats of bigger change. And then my particular criticism, and I think this sort of gets to the heart of what is holding people back, is that I think that that dominant story of the idea of competition and competitiveness can create a perception of the relationship between the business and the environment in which we operate, mm -hmm. which causes us not to spot opportunities in the first place and therefore not to be able to take advantage of them. It too readily reinforces the idea that we inside the business are the value creators and that we can simply perform our way to success and that people exist outside the business either as competitors seeking to capture that value or as customers who we too readily reduce to the role of consumers, right. which is, I would say, the word in the whole of the English language that I most detest, because it appears to limit the human agency of the people who are most important to us, our customers, to their capacity to diminish by however many units the world supply of whichever resource we happen to be selling them. Whereas in reality, of course, the value creation process is a tremendously collective process. There is more value in the spaces between us than within anything. And far from being the passive recipients of value, 
our customers are almost certainly at almost any point in time the people doing the most to improve their own lives anyway so the more we orientate ourselves around their desires their purpose their activities their lives and enabling the changes they want to achieve and sharing in the value we can co-create with them the more collaborative advantage we can build and the more success we can build absolutely in the book you talk about a framework that you've kind of outlined and, and some of the steps that companies can start to take this approach towards building out their business and their strategy why don't we walk through a little bit about what are the steps of this collaborative advantage approach the framework is called the outside in framework and it involves an, an audit that is available in the book that can help us ask ourselves different sets of questions that help us to overcome the cognitive biases that we may have inherited from competitive advantage. It identifies the dynamic capabilities we can build to grow our businesses more quickly. So it involves five steps, although in reality, the application of these steps may be more organic rather than in a sequence. But I think it will always begin by finding common purpose. And in the book, I propose that the best way to do that is to see your business as an enabler of change rather than as a deliverer of change. So that's about moving away from the competitive question, what do we do best? Mm -hmm. And towards the collaborative question, what do we enable people to do better? And if our customers are the primary value creators, it makes sense to begin with the purpose we enable them to fulfill and to make that purpose common by unifying our resources, the resources of our partners and so on to better enable that purpose. Shall I give an example that, of course, everybody knows inside out? So when Amazon launched the first online bookstore, they, in a sense, inverted the conventional competitive model of a shop, which is I have stuff and I try to sell you my stuff better than the shop next to me. And they replaced it with the collaborative proposition of I am here to enable you to choose. I don't mind what you choose. I'll find a way to get it to you. Mm. When Amazon launched, they literally had no relationships with distributors who required bulk orders from conventional shops. So as a customer, if we went online and bought a book from Amazon, an Amazon member of staff would then have to go manually to a distributor and put a minimum order that included the book you just ordered and then a whole series of books that they knew full well to be out of stock so that the distributor would then give them the one book they'd ordered and a note saying, we're sorry, we weren't able to fill the rest of your minimum order. <laughs> um, and of course, today it's at the heart of their over 200,000 global retail partnerships. So that's just one demonstration of how powerful it can be to switch from that model of what do we do best, which creates a small win towards what do we enable people to do better, which can create a much more scalable win. What's the second step? So the second step is to make innovation more useful by structuring it in the form of the right opportunities for people to pursue that purpose. That might be about putting cooperation enabling ideas at the heart of our customer propositions, at the heart of our value creation process, at the heart of our business models, at the heart of our customer support or service delivery mechanisms, or even at the heart of our communications. If you'd like an interesting example of the last of those, there is a commercial development, a shopping center and commercial district in Argentina called Puerto Maduro. And the developer of that district, once he'd built the shopping center and so on, brought in Jorge Heyman, one of Argentina's leading creatives, and wanted to create an advertising campaign worthy of the shopping center. 
But Jorge wandered around, spoke to people, spent some time in the nearby neighborhoods from whom the developer wanted to attract people to the center. And he came back and said, actually, you don't need an advertising campaign. You need to be more useful to people. Hmm. And he proposed that instead of developing an advertising campaign, they create a bridge that would make it easier for people to directly cross the water from the neighboring (laughs) areas and to get to the shopping center more easily rather than taking multiple buses and having a complicated walk. And then, of course, being a great creative, he said, and why not get in one of the country's top architects and make it an absolute icon of a bridge? So it serves the function of an advertising campaign as well. And he did that. It's called the Puente de la Mujer. And it is one of the most iconic bridges in Argentina, possibly internationally as well. So continue on a little bit about either the other steps or or other things that you're seeing with the framework that have been helpful. So the third step is making engagement more effective by designing an environment conducive to the purpose that you're enabling. One of the things I look at in the book, for example, is the concept of extended cognition, which implies that our decisions and choices are so heavily influenced by the environment in which we take them that it is almost as if our choices are structured in that environment rather than inside our minds. So that might be about making changes to our social environment, our physical environment, our customer environment, our internal environment even, if we we want to help people to be collectively buying into the purpose of the business and using their creativity to support its purpose. Step four, I call Iterate and Accelerate, and is about working with our early adopters to better understand and respond to their needs as revealed in practice, as opposed to what people say they will do, think they will do, or what classical economics believes they should do. And it's about using their influence to reach a broader mainstream. I'll give the quickest example of the latter point. When we take a Coke and we carbonate it, we don't make it tastier, we don't make it more nutritious, we don't make it easier to digest. But we do make it really obvious when somebody gets up, goes to the fridge, comes back to their desk, and you hear that sound. And then suddenly, even though you weren't thirsty, you're thinking, I could really fancy a Coke. And then step five, of course, is to build partnerships to help us scale further and faster than we could alone. The French writer Antoine de Saint-Exupéry wrote a marvelous line on partnerships. He suggested that the perfect partnership is based not on looking inwards at each other, but on looking outwards in the same direction. The most important ingredients of partnerships that I propose in the book include clearly understanding the end user purpose we're enabling, aligning the interests of the organizations around that purpose. And as a result of those two things, being able to adapt over time. And in the book, I look at all sorts of different typologies of partnership that can unlock collective value. Fascinating stuff. I do like the book, how it gives a number of different examples of how do you walk through this. Is this something that has to be top-down driven from the CEO and the C-suite to say, hey, we're going to be more collaborative. We're going to look strategically from that perspective. Or is this something that can be more grassroots driven from the management level, or what can be done, I guess, to move an organization to a more collaborative advantage process? Collaborative advantage is a universally applicable concept. So whatever problem you have, it is possible to find a bigger solution to that problem by better leveraging the work of others, the value creating potential of others. You know, Benjamin Franklin gave us the advice to see in every problem the opportunity, maybe the 
advanced version of that technique is to see in every problem the opportunity both for ourselves and for others and thereby to build a bigger solution. Clearly, because collaborative advantage so often begins by understanding and defining our core purpose differently, there is a significant role for leadership to play. And when you have collaborative advantage embedded at the heart of an organization, defining its purpose, the better to mobilize both outside and inside around that purpose. That is the biggest contribution that that can be made. Having said that, it's so important to be creating collaborative advantage at, at every level in an organization. I was asked to evaluate the sustainability programs of a marvelous ecotourism development that's brought more than a billion British pounds to a place in England called Cornwall. And that development's called the Eden Project. And they actually teach business leaders how to ensure that they have sound environmentally sustainable strategies. Mm -hmm. And by far the most inspiring part of the course that I went through with them as part of that evaluation was a presentation that was made by the cleaning staff who clean the toilets at Eden. There are over a hundred toilets at Eden. They have so many thousands of visitors every day and they regularly win Lou of the Year awards and so on. <laughs> I think they've won it more than any other business. It's an award now, for everything. Now, they just so buy into that purpose of sustainability. They choose their own products because they're not just interested in what products have the best apparent credentials. They know exactly how much cleaning product is used. They know exactly what they're doing every day and have gradually worked out the most environmentally sustainable ways to keep those loos in tip-top condition. And to the extent where, when at Eden they added some new buildings, the cleaning staff taught themselves how to use the CAD program that architects use to design buildings. And they use that knowledge to make small modifications to those buildings, for example, where electricity sockets could go and so on, to make the small adjustments that meant that their cleaning processes would be even more environmentally friendly than otherwise they might have been. Now, it must have been 10 years since I was walking through that program to help evaluate it. And I remember that session better than I remember the vast majority of meetings and sessions that I've had since then. It was very memorable occasion. So I think collaborative advantage can be created right throughout an organization. And it can also unlock tremendous contributions from our customers. I was just buying something on eBay the other day. Now, of course, one of the most fun things you can do on eBay is to outbid somebody in the final (laughs) seconds of an auction. Now, that's made possible by something called sniper code. And funnily enough, the original sniper code wasn't created by eBay or conceived of by eBay. It was conceived of and contributed simply by a customer who thought it would be more fun. And I think we've all benefited from their insight and creativity. Well, I encourage everybody to pick up the book Collaborative Advantage by Paul Skinner. Paul, thank you very much for being on the show. If folks want to find out more about yourself, Agency of the Future, your book, what's the best way to do that? I would love people to read the book. It's been out in Europe for the past few months, and it's published in the US at the end of April. People can find me on LinkedIn. The Agency of the Future is www.theaof.com. And if we have marketers listening who would like to try out their own approach to creating collaborative advantage and support a good cause at the same time, 
then they can also sign up for the social platform pimpmycause.org that I founded shortly after the Agency of the Future. Great stuff. Paul, thank you very much for being on Inside Outside Innovation. Look forward to uh, keeping in touch and seeing where all this goes in the world of innovation. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Brian. That's it for another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out insideoutside.io or follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at Artinger. Until next time, go out and innovate.